there, I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Well, today I have with me a couples counsellor and individual psychotherapist who lives on the Northern Beaches. Her name's Annie Girton, and Annie is from the UK. She's joined me on the show before to discuss uh, the human givens, and she always gives me such inspiration um, to learn more about life and, you know, just there's lots of things that she can help me with and, and help you with as listeners. She has had a very rich life and varied and she's lived in the UK, in India and now she's in Australia. She's been a journalist and she has operated yoga studios, two of them in fact in Goa. So we're going to talk today to Annie about how to live to 100 and some research projects that she's been interested in. Hello Annie. Hello Karen. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining me. Tell me about these research programs and what they have discovered. Okay, well, my interest is in helping people to live long and happy lives. So I've been following a couple of research projects, which I wanted to talk to you about today. Um, research is just so useful in kind of underpinning a lot of the understandings we have about life. So the first one I want to talk about is called the Harvard Study of Adult Development. And it's a longitudinal study, which means they follow people through many years. And this one is one of the longest that's been conducted. It's 80 years old. And they began it with a group, two groups of people. Well, um, mainly boys, because 80 years ago, mm -hmm. the research was mainly around young men, 19 to 20-year-olds. One cohort was from Harvard. They were the first-year students in, at Harvard. And the other group was from a poor and deprived area of Boston. So completely different backgrounds for these kids. Well, they were young adults. And the question that the researchers were hoping to discover is, does wealth and fame help you to become happier? Well, my guess would be that it doesn't, but then that's just a guess. It's not research. Well, I think your guess is pretty right, and it's really not rocket science to for us to realise that um, wealth and fame don't really lead to happiness. But it's, the thing about research is it kind of proves what we might know instinctively. So that's what this research is showing. Um, and... The problem was, or the problem for the kids was, that a lot of the boys who went to Harvard came from rich and privileged and homes where they were sent to school, sent out to school, mm -hmm. whereas the boys, boys from the poorer background stayed at home with mum and the nuclear family um, and had a completely different kind of upbringing. And what we now know is that that is the upbringing that leads people to be more happy because we need to connect with other people especially earlier in life, and what makes us happy is all about relationships. Yeah, sometimes I think these people that are sent off to boarding schools or looked after by nannies, I think they miss something. They don't have that same connection with family, do they? They most certainly do, or don't rather, yeah. They, um, they find life very difficult often because they are taken away from their parents who probably 
did what they thought was the best thing. So we mustn't really blame the parents as what they did in those days. Um, and they were sent to um, an environment they didn't know about, often at about seven years old, six or seven mm, years old. And it's, very sad. It's child abuse now. We would regard it as child abuse. But for those kids that were sent away, their parents thought they were doing the best thing, but they were actually snatching them away from a secure and happy and their home. Um, into a school where they were forced to stand on their own two feet. I think, you know, for those ones in Boston that were at home, they probably learnt a lot off the streets, as in playing with friends, probably spent more time experimenting and playing and growing. And it's all about relationships. In all of those things you've described, it's all about our interpersonal relationships. We are very connecting creatures, so we are very social creatures. So right from the moment that we're born... Um, we are born with an innate ability to connect. So you look at a small baby, right from the get-go, it's looking around and it's trying to connect with other faces. And that's all it can see is a face, but it quickly learns to recognise faces and voices. And uh, we are born with an ability to do that, a need to do that. Yeah, so it's really... Um some people struggle with relationships. Some people do struggle a lot. And that's as a therapist, I see a lot of people who are struggling. And what we've realized is that the reasons they struggle often is because they have subconsciously adapted to um, counter woundings that were given to them when they were little kids. So you look at a small baby, they aren't judgmental, they aren't self-conscious, they aren't critical. And we can feel we can look at a small baby without feeling criticized or um, judged in any way as we get older and as the babies get older we find that we we wonder whether these other people are looking at us and judging us and criticizing us so our most satisfying relationships are those with people that we don't we feel do not criticize us we feel do not judge us that we feel safe with it's certainly an interesting topic and 80 years of a study that's a long time it's some long of these time. i mean even the researchers you know, the researchers have come and gone. They're now on the fourth generation of researchers. And they're now working with some of the children of the original children involved in the study. And they're now including girls in the study. Well, and obviously of the original study, some of them would have passed away Absolutely. over 80 years because... Absolutely. Did you say they started as teens? They started as teenagers. So almost all the original people have now passed away. The researchers went back to them every year. And interestingly, when they went back to the boys who were taken or who were raised in the poorer areas of Boston, um, they said, why are you interested in my life? Why do you want to ask me all these questions? My life's so ordinary, it's so boring. But when they went to the boys who were at Harvard, none of them asked that question. They all had a sense of entitlement and privilege uh, that it was just part of their life that people would be interested in them. So that's quite an interesting little outcome. Yeah, and I think sometimes the the most interesting of these people are probably the boys that grew up in Boston. Well, the ones that grew up in homes that were poorer um, often had a wider family network. Often there were more cousins and uh, uncles and distant family living more locally. Everybody was more connected to the family. Um, there were, and everybody knew everybody much more, whereas people who live in privileged areas often live in gated communities with walls around their uh -huh. houses and gardens. So they're more isolated right from the start. So the question the researchers were sort of asked all through was, does privilege and wealth help you to be more happy and I know that a lot of people have come through life and maybe at a stage where they're looking back and thinking well I haven't become rich in money terms I haven't become famous 
Um, but I would imagine that most of them would be happier in many ways than those who have achieved those things. And very rich in life experiences. You chose an amazing song today, Will I Still Love You Tomorrow? Mm, yes, Amy of course Wine. I will, Annie. <laughs> Amy Winehouse, yes. She's such a wonderful woman. She yeah, was. I, I wasn't a great fan of her when she was alive, but I've learnt much more about her music now. And, oh, she has an amazing voice. So, Amy Winehouse. Welcome back to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen. Please go to Facebook and like the page Aging Fearlessly. In the studio with me today is Annie Gurton, a registered and experienced couples counsel and psychotherapist. And Annie, we've been learning about an ongoing 80-year-old study into whether being rich and famous contributes to living a long life and to happiness. So there's other research, though, you wanted to share today. So what's the other research? Mm, the other research is actually called How to Live to Be 100. Ooh. And um, <laughs> it's quite a newer study. It's, this one's only seven years old. And it involves thousands of people rather than the hundreds of people that were involved in the Harvard study. Um, and it was conducted for Brigham Young University. Um, and they started with people age 60 rather than the 19 to 20-year-olds. So, um, so they spoke to them when they were about 60, when they were 60, and then went back when they were 67. And they had various factors that they were looking at as to what was helping these people to be healthy going forward. And the lowest point was to have a, a clear, clean environment to live in. Was the bottom... Was the bottom, yes, least important. Okay, And that's from the study they found out that was the least important thing. Clearly, if you live in a really poisonous, gassy kind of like place like Agra in India, then that's not very healthy. But at the same time, of all the factors, living in a clean environment is least important. Hmm. The second one was your blood pressure. So getting your blood pressure under control is quite important. Yep. And the next one was being lean or being overweight. And as we well know, then being overweight is not that good for your health. You know about the blue zones, I'm sure. They have a very low calorie diet, especially the one in Okinawa. You know, the diet's not full of calories. That's right. And us in the Western world often just eat too much gluttony is, is a death sentence these well, days the size um, of our dinner plates yeah. quite often is ridiculous and the best exercise you can take is just pushing the plate away oh, i've not thought about that it's very hard when there's chips piled up it, no. it can be very hard which brings us on to the next one which is exercise so surprisingly exercise was the seventh most important thing and we all imagine exercise to be really really important for good mm -hmm. health and it is but it's not the most important one that comes next is whether your heart and your cardiac facility is working well so, so what number is that that's number six so you need a heart that's functioning well and so linked with diet and exercise is you you do a diet and exercise really to ensure that your heart's working well can i go back to exercise for a minute because if you listen to a lot of the expert dietitians and nutritionists, they do say that of the two things when you're dieting, nutrition and exercise, the most important to get right is the nutrition. Yeah. You'd still lose weight even if you didn't exercise, if you've got your food right. Yes, you wouldn't lose weight healthily, but um, I think a lot of people eat badly is the point. 
that mm-hmm. you're sort of making. Yep. You know, a lot of us have a really misconception about how much food we need to eat. Yeah. And most of us imagine that we need to eat far more than we do. And actually being a little bit hungry a lot of the time is actually really healthy and good for us. And that's what they found in Okinawa was right. to to never be full and that they used to shut the kitchen after your plate was – you filled mm. your plate, you mm. went off, and you probably didn't fill it like mm. we think of filling it. But the kitchen was basically closed. You did not go back for seconds. Mm. And the best way to eat is with a breakfast like a king, lunch like a lord, and sup like a peasant. So you go to bed slightly hungry, and you in effect fast from about six or seven at night right through till the morning breakfast, which is, so is very break healthy. Fast break the That's fast. Break the fast exactly. Yeah. So the next factor that they determined was really uh, important for good health and um, is having a flu vaccine. Really? So the flu is really bad for us, apparently. Having the flu is, uh, obviously it can kill, mm-hmm. but it's also really not a good thing to get. It's, it drags you down. A lot of people find it takes a long time to get over. Mm. We don't have recuperation in the same way that the Victorians did. Mm. So when you got ill in Victorian times, you were often sent away to recuperate and you had several weeks of just sitting around reading books and sitting in the sunshine. We don't do that anymore. We now, as- when are you coming back to work? Exactly. He's get back on your feet as quickly as possible. Mm. So being ill is not good in many ways and anything to avoid being ill with vaccines is is a good idea. Mm. And I understand that they're thinking of bringing in mandatory flu vaccines for under two. So I'm sure there's a lot of people who are not convinced that's a good thing. But nevertheless, from these kind of research studies, they, they show that they are a good thing. Last year, but well, it depends on the strains that's of right. the vaccine that you've been given. That's right. So the next issues are drinking and smoking. So quitting boozing and quitting smoking. Now, there's a lot of people out there that when you say in Australia, quit drinking, boozing... That's not as easy as... It's not easy because such we, a social. we use it as a social crutch. We use it to help us relax. For a lot of people, it's kind of it's the sign at the end of the day that the work day is over and it's time to relax now. So a drink as the sun goes over the yard arm, as they say. Time to have a drink. And it's, it is a very social thing. So stopping drinking is, is a big thing. So often we, I just say just cut back if you can. You know, just drink a bit less. Don't rely on it. There are other drinks to have which are non-alcoholic mm-hmm. being... Uh, teetotal, being a non-drinker, is there's no shame in that. Um, and you can have just as much fun. It's just that a lot of people don't accept very easily when you say, no, I'm not drinking. Mm. People a, will try and pressure a, you. A lot of social pressure. There is. There is. It's, it can be really hard. So and just cutting back can be good. But often smoking. people tell little white lies about not drinking and saying, well, I'm on medication or something like that. But... So there are ways of getting around it or making yourself the designated driver so that you don't drink. So there's little tricks. And smoking, yes, well, these days very few people smoke anyway, of course. So um, fewer people are taking up smoking, the numbers. But it's taken a long time for the anti-smoking message to really get across and for young kids now just look at people who smoke and think, why? Why are you doing that? Well... Something I saw the other day when I was down at the local shopping centre was this young boy, he would have been in his late teens, sitting on the steps behind a shop smoking and I thought, I just wanted to shake my head and go, do you really realise what you're doing? But then Australia, yes, it's very anti-social. Not so much in Europe still. That's right. And Eastern Europe... Mm -hmm. That's right. Quite acceptable. And the stats show it. I mean, there's a lot more heart deaths and there's a lot more lung cancer and a lot more of these 
smoking-related illnesses in those countries than there are here. People here don't off, so often die of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I've got two more factors, the top two factors, but I think I'll keep them till after the next. Okay, music, let's have a right? let's have another song. Keep on moving. What do you know about keep on moving? I think we all want to keep on moving, although exercise isn't up there as the most important factor for long life. I think keeping moving is a really good message for your life. Well, I congratulate you, Annie, because you keep on moving. Welcome back to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen. Please go to Facebook and like the page Aging Fearlessly. here with Annie Girton in the studio today and Annie is a registered and experienced couples counsel and psychotherapist and we're talking about how to live to 100 and we've been discussing two studies. One is an 80-year-old study that was a Harvard University study and the second is a seven-year study and Annie was giving us the top 10 points of the seven-year study and we've got two to go. So Annie, help us out with those two. So the top two by far were having close relationships Mm -hmm. and social integration. So let me just talk about close relationships to start with. So we need people around us who are non-judgmental and non-critical. So we need to have a core of people that we feel that we can be safe with. We need to have people around us that we can talk to, who are not going to criticise us, who are not going to judge us, and we feel happy to be around. I imagine that finding those people that don't judge us it's hard it's you know hard. they are a, it's a very unique person that doesn't judge and i think we are programmed in a way to cope we are resilient enough to be able to cope with a little bit of criticism um and you know let's be honest we all criticize our friends a little bit that's kind of what friends can do is to get away with a <laughs> yes. little bit of criticism and a little bit of judgment but we basically need to feel safe and we need to feel supported so this core of close relationships are the sort of people that you can rely on if you need to be driven to the hospital or picked up from the hospital you know that they're going to be there for you for help for support if your mum's ill or anything's going on you can share those worries with them and they will sit and listen to you and you can feel that um, they're they're, they're there for you they are support for you yeah it is very comforting to know that you can pick up the phone or knock on a neighbor's door and Mm. these people are there for you Mm. or your family people are are reluctant to ask they say that they don't want to burden other people with their problems but uh, the thing is to look at it as a gift that you're giving someone else because everyone likes to help actually so it, when you include someone who asks someone to help you you are gifting them an opportunity to help you and i know i'm going back to the blue zone studies but part of the reason the people in the blue zones live such a long life is because of those close relationships and the community of family and mm. the groups of women, if you're talking female, in Okinawa around them, that they go through life, they travel through life supporting one another. That's right. And those people who live a, a long time are those who have the best relationships like that. Uh, loneliness is a really big killer. 
And yeah. we can actually be lonely in a crowd and we can be lonely in a marriage. If you're in a marriage or um, in relationships which are not satisfying you, uh, I would recommend that you really start looking at ways of reaching out to new groups of people, expanding your friendship network, making new beginnings. Maybe start with something that interests you, a hobby or an occupation or something that you really enjoy. Mm. Maybe try and join a book group or something like that. And it's not about the thing that the group does. So it wouldn't be about reading a book so much as the getting the group getting together and chatting it's It's not so much about swimming or whatever you want to do they are important but it's about the group it's about the people involved it's immersing yourself in amongst people that you feel connected that's right and the other thing uh, the top thing for living to be a hundred is what they call social integration and that is the way that we are in the world around us as we move through the day so Mm -hmm. that it's when you go to get your coffee in the morning from the barista whether you smile at him and he smiles at you and you know his name or he knows your name it's the connections that you build in the life that you lead it's smiling at people it's being nice with people around you it's being friendly so that people are drawn to you and the people are friendly back to you so it's the way that we move through the world our ability to integrate ourselves well into social situations and it's that skill that a lot of people lose as they get older because they become wounded they become hurt they learn that it's um, it can be hurtful to them when people snub them they try being um, on the outside of a group is painful being ostracized, being sent to Coventry is, means death in a basic society. And in prison, being put into solitary confinement is the worst punishment that you can have. So it's really important that we have people around us. And it's really important for us to use all our innate skills to build those connections that we have with people, not just our close friends, but everybody else that we meet in the world. Interestingly enough, along the many, many, many years ago, do you know, do you want to have a guess who the first person I talked to every day was? Tell me. Now, this gives my age away a little bit. The person collecting the bridge toll. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, like, yeah, I'd get up and I'd get dressed and I'd, you know, in those days you didn't stop and get a coffee. I mean, coffee's fairly, you know, stopping and buying a coffee like we buy coffee today is, you know, it's fairly recent addition to our lifestyles. And so you didn't stop and get a coffee. But when I wound the window down on my little beetle and put the money out into the hand, I would say hello. And would you get the same guy every day? No, but sometimes I'd get a reaction and someone was chirpy or cheery, but sometimes not. And you, you go, oh. Yeah. So a well-integrated day, you would begin to, you'd actually notice them. You would recognise them. And you, you would actually say, what's your name? You know. Yeah. And uh, find out their name. And having someone say your name is really important to our mental health. So having someone every day recognize you and say, hi, Karen, how are you? It really helps soothe our mind and heart. It's incredibly good for us. So when we are doing that to other people, we are giving other people the gift of that yeah. reassurance. And, and I'm glad you pointed that out because some people may be like me and I am I'm introduced to people and I'm interested in knowing who they are and saying hello and looking in their eyes, but their name usually goes straight in one ear and out the other and I then some some stage have to go sneakily around 
and find mm. out a name or get the courage to ask that person Well, again. the Americans have a very good habit around that because when you're introduced to an American, often they will repeat your name several times in the first five minutes so that it kind of embeds itself in their mind. Um, and there are other tricks like remembering a name by, with a r- rhyming slang. So my name's Annie, so I often say when I'm introduced to people, Annie, get your gum, and it helps them to remember me. Learning little tricks about... Social integration is really powerful. And most people, by the time they've reached their later years, have developed these skills and these tricks. In fact, women develop them much more easily than men, unfortunately, which is why women live to be an older age than men. Simple as that. I was told by a psychologist in my 20s to find a man who was at least eight years younger than me and marry him Mm -hmm. because probably die at similar similar ages or travel through life at similar stage. but if you go to social media these days there's a lot of men that are looking for women 20 years younger than them but I'm not going to go there um so you were talking about our connection before and I want to go like I was said to you about the tolls but social integration so many people these days are doing everything through their phone. Yes, and it's a big problem. It's a growing problem that we haven't really got our heads around at all. And not just kids either. A lot of older people are just as bad uh, using phones all the time. So I suppose the question is, can one have community online? Is that as good as um, a face-to-face community and face-to-face friendships? And with a lot of technology, it is getting better and better. You are able to see someone. Often, so if you use Zoom or Skype, then you can see someone. Um, And that is almost as good as face-to-face. It's not as good as, but it's almost as good as. So what we need to be able to do is look into someone's eyes. And it's when our eyes connect that our brain neurons kind of fire off. So maintaining eye contact with someone can be really hard. It can be really difficult. I think there's a performance artist woman who runs these sessions, these days, where she just sits in a chair and, and looks at people. I don't know if you've come across her, but I can't remember her name offhand. But anyway, the ability to look at someone, I often get couples in the room and they're just unable to look at each other at all. Um, And it's sort of mad that here's the most intimate person in your life and you can't even maintain eye contact with them. Mm. So being able to maintain eye contact in a non-threatening way is another really important skill. And, of course, babies do this innately. Little newborn babies are looking for eye contact all the time. They come into the world able to do it. But then as stuff happens to us as we go through our life, so maybe someone shouted at us or maybe someone was dismissive or stuff happened, we learn to hide those vulnerable parts of ourselves. Um, And these are called adaptations. So someone might tend to be uh, manipulative or controlling or self-effacing or clinging. All these things are adaptations to cope with things that happened to them when they were much younger. Mm. Let's have another song because there's so much more here to talk about booze is bad news welcome back you're listening to 88.7 and 90.3 your community radio station to find out more go to the website rnb.org.au i'm with annie girton and we're talking about living to 100 and yes it is possible And we've heard that there are some very highly regarded research. We've been through two of them, an 80-year research um, by a a study by Harvard and then a seven-year study by another group. 
and they're showing that it's all about relationships and those around us that really make a difference in our lives. And we've heard that women are even better at connecting than men. And is there any way that men can learn the techniques, Annie? Uh, funnily enough, there is, yes. So um, help me out. <laughs> <laughs> women just connect more easily. We, um, we use better eye contact. And there's several basic skills that just women just fall into. I, when I'm working with my couples, I practice something called Imago, Imago Relationship Therapy, uh, which in America is known as Safe Conversations. So can you spell Imago for us? It's I-M-A-G-O. It's actually Latin for image. And oh. what it means is when we're in a relationship, we're actually drawn to someone who's the image of one of our primary carers when we were grown up. So often we marry someone who's like our mum or our dad or... And that is what happens. Oh. People say, oh, I've married my mother, but it's true. And it happens for a reason. I was the MC for my niece. And her father's name is Michael John. And I joked that she not only wanted a man like her father, but she went out and found one with the same name. She married a Michael John. How cute. It's very cute, isn't it? Yeah. It really wasn't the reason, but I thought <laughs> I like to tell that. Okay. So what Imago does, um, as well as explain why people are together, is it teaches people how to connect better. Um, it helps people to listen so that they, the others will talk, and it helps people to talk so that other people will listen. Um, and when we feel heard and it's, we feel it's safe to talk to other people, we relax at a subconscious level and allow ourselves just to open up and become vulnerable. And it's in that state that we really connect with others. So what does Imago teach us? So there is a dialogue that Imago teaches and there's four main stages to it. So we encourage people to do these things in ordinary conversation as well as in the therapy room. Mm -hmm. And the first one is to listen to what you're being told. So it's not about thinking ahead and thinking what you're going to say, which is what we normally do, is we think ahead in a conversation. When the other person is talking, we're already forming our next sentence. We really try and listen, and we let the other person know that we're listening by mirroring back to them what they say. I learnt a little about listening from a friend, and she didn't teach me, teach me, but I noticed that the next time I would see her, even six weeks later, she would totally remember the names of people I'd talked about, what we talked about, and, you know, she, she could just, she just had a great memory mm. for that sort of stuff. And I thought, what is it? And I thought, she's really listening. Mm. How did that make you feel? It made me feel really important and comfortable, but it also made me feel that I need to learn to listen properly. And I make much more of an effort. And even doing this radio program has taught me to listen. Mm. And you'll see me writing things down when you're talking because I not only want to listen, but I want to be able to recall it later. And I don't want – you know how you just sometimes forget mm. what you were thinking or mm. – and so, yeah, it does. It's so a listening, great place for listening. Yeah, listening is really powerful and letting the other person know that you're listening by mirroring back exactly what they say. So in a day-to-day -day conversation, that can become a bit clunky. So rather than mirroring back a whole section of words that you've heard, um, we encourage people to summarise. 
So I might summarize that was something that you've told me that uh, was summarize what anybody says something you just go back over. So what I've heard you say is that you really like swimming and you really your whatever has happened to you. Mm. Sorry, I've just forgotten what you just said. It just shows oh, I wasn't really we, listening. But. Well, I'm um, sorry, Annie. We'll go back to listening school shortly. You know, and for salespeople, mm. uh, actually the person who listens the most wins. You know, mm. you, you can't just go in with an offer or you have to listen to the person who you are trying to sell mm. to to know exactly what it is they want. Mm. And for customer service as well, you know, if someone's really hurting on the other end of the phone because they're unhappy with something quite often with customer service the best thing is to just sit back and listen even if the person Mm. is ranting Mm. because you have more of a chance to actually then help them because they're getting these things out of their system and then you can go back and say I'm here what you're saying blah 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 I hear what you're saying yeah. yeah And just calming our mind and not thinking that we have to fill the space between words with a response. And we don't have to talk about ourselves. We're listening to the other person. is a much more powerful way of connecting than talking to them or talking at them about what's going on for us. Mm-hmm. So being curious about other people is really important and really powerful. Um, and when we're curious about other people, they think we're, we're such a good conversationalist. Mm-hmm. If we encourage other people to talk, mm-hmm. they think that we're such good listeners and we're, so, you know, we've heard everything. As you said, it made you feel important. It made you feel good. Yeah. So, and I know about myself. It used to be I, I used to forget to ask someone if they said, "Oh, Karen, how was your day?" I'm like, "Oh, you know, really great," and blah blah blah. And I noticed one day I didn't often enough say, "Well, how was yours?" Mm. And that's so important too. It's so important, so important. I mean, people do want to hear a little bit of what's happened to you, but not a huge amount. So yep. um, asking them how the, their day went for you and is really important. So we mirror what someone said to us and then we summarise what we've heard them say. So we just pull it all together in a little pricey and just summarise what we've heard them say. And then we would validate. Now, this is something we do more in the therapy room. But validation is saying... So what makes sense to me in what you've said is, and we don't have to agree with the other person necessarily, we just have to say what might make sense to us mm-hmm. and what they've said. So we're not agreeing with them necessarily, but we're make, reassuring them that we've heard what they've said and it makes sense to us. Mm-hmm. And the last thing is to empathise. So we'd say, um, and when that happened, I imagine that made you feel um, and Often the person has given you those words, they feel uh, confused or frustrated. And often other words like lonely and sad come in. And when mm. you suggest that the other person might be feeling lonely and sad, often they, they, they'll cry quite frequently because someone has realised that they feel lonely and sad. Yeah. So well, Imago is a really pro- powerful process um, that helps us to build those social interactions and that social integration into our days and into our lives. Because it's not the number of friends we have, it's the quality of the friendships that really matter. Yeah, that's where things like Facebook are so confusing when you've got thousands of friends mm. and you think, oh, when did I meet them? Mm. Yeah, well, I have a rule that I don't add anybody that I haven't personally met. 
Um, but I, sometimes I do have friends uh, that I did meet a very long time ago and haven't seen much of, even on Facebook. So it does take me struggle sometimes. But I love the birthday reminders on Facebook. They are priceless. It's wonderful because you just keep in touch with people once a year, even if you just say happy birthday. Your name pops up on their feed and uh, yeah. such a nice thing. It is such a nice thing. And and I don't comment on all birthdays. I comment on the ones of the people that I know, you know, not intimately, but I know really well. You know, some of them are friends of friends and I think mm. there's no point in you saying happy birthday, but mm. yeah. Um, let's, we have one more song. Is there, is there something else right now that we need to add on here with um, um, Imago? Imago is a wonderful process. In fact, in um, as an American city, I think it's um, Atlanta, one of the American cities has taken it on board um, across the whole city. So they're teaching Imago in really? schools. Yeah. And they call it self con- um, Safe Conversations. Mm. And they are teaching people, young children, how to communicate, how to listen so the other person will hear you, how to um, talk so other people will listen. And it has the stats are showing that just learning that ability is helping reduce a lot of social discontent, building relationships, building friendships, and the whole city is becoming a happier place. How nice is that? That is fantastic that someone is adopting mm. such a great um, mm. process. therapy process. Yeah, yeah. process yeah. yeah, it's great. Annie, we have another song, Billie Jean. Mm, this is my favourite. Oh, yeah. well, well, we'll have to click on to Billie Jean. You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. Annie Girton, that was a fantastic version of Billie Jean. I love it. Mm. It's... um. Got a swagger about mm, it. It's yeah. by a band called uh, Civil Wars. It's just a man and a woman, and they're so good doing oh, covers. Yeah. Love it. You mentioned earlier people feeling wounded. Mm. Talk about, or just explain mm. what you mean by wounded. I've, yes, I said that people are wounded. Um, we are all wounded in childhood, and often we're not aware of it. We're not aware of it when it happens, and we're not aware of it later, and it shows up in our adult relationships. And it shows up not just in our personal, intimate relationships, but also our relationships with everyone around us. So a baby comes into the world innocent and complete. Um, They don't come into the world with any self-consciousness or Mm self-awareness or any woundings at all. But gradually, gradually as they grow over the years, um, stuff happens to us all. You know, no one survives childhood unscathed. So everybody has some woundings or another, and we develop adaptations to help us to cover those woundings to make us feel good in the world around us. Do you think some people are in denial of being wounded? Um, Possibly, but more often the the woundings are deep and the adaptations are so complete and effective and efficient that we're just not aware of it. So it's not until people go into therapy and work with a therapist long term that this sort of stuff uncovers and reveals itself. And life is just a process of learning more and more about ourselves. And by the time, one of the great things about getting older into your 50s, 60s and 70s that we have many more aha moments about the way that we have yeah. behaved in our lives and what started that and the co- what's that consequence of and what happened to us. It's not about blaming our parents, but the fact is that 
the, our parents dear of them in, in doing the best they can often um, th they do things that hurt us so you might have someone who has a tendency to fool around and be funny and one of the parents was dismissive or critical or didn't find that then it made them feel bad it made them oh you know i can't do that so they will have what we call a lost part and that lost part of themselves is that part that was light and funny and amusing but they've learned to not be like that to be more serious to be taken more serious to be more intellectual perhaps yeah, and I think a lot of people, at least these days, understand that therapy is a good thing yeah. and that you don't go to therapy because you think there's something, um, I'm going to say, mentally, yeah, um, you know, that you're at mental wrong. illness or some sort of particularly wrong, but you do go, well, I'm saying friends might go to understand themselves. Absolutely. A good and understand behaviours. Definitely, definitely. A good therapist will help you to understand yourself better. And life is a process of learning to understand yourself better. And if you feel stuck or confused in your life, often the therapist will just provide the key to help you to open the door to see things more clearly. I agree 100% with that. Whereas once upon a time it was, you know, don't go and see someone mm. because people will think blah, blah, blah mm. if they find out. And, of course, mm. we know that's not the way it is. Mm. So, Annie, we are – we really have run out of time. Oh, that's a shame. I was really enjoying that. So was I. <laughs> so would you like to tell people where they can get in contact with you if they would like to know some more? They certainly can. They could go to my website, which is anniegerton.com. That's G-U-R-T-O-N. Um, and I'm based in Narrowena on the northern beaches. And, um, yeah, just go to my website. Talk to me online if you want. Uh, you can always give me a call. All my contact details are there. I'm very happy to see people for one session or for a series of sessions, individuals or couples. Well, that's about it for today. Would you like to say goodbye, Annie? I'd like to say goodbye. Goodbye, Karen. Goodbye, Annie. And thank you again, listeners, for joining us today. I hope you got some insight into these studies and how to live to 100 and you've taken a few notes and that you may apply them in your life or phone Annie if you need to know more. Cheerio! So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, ageing is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in It's not all nine to five, it's a wonderful life. Let's go and climb mountains high, swim across oceans wide. Live out our dreams, just you and me. Let your heart be alive. There's no time to wait. Gotta go get the most out of time Don't be afraid Like this treasure that you've got to find Baby, don't be shy Let's go and take that ride 
Let your heart be alive, baby. Just let your heart come alive, honey. Let your heart be alive.